Thank you for tuning into Adverse University and welcome to class. Uh, this is Sean. Today we have a great interview dropping Stu Smith, Navy SEAL. I know a lot comes with that title in general. It was awesome to get more into that story. You know, when you think of a Navy SEAL, you just think of a badass and they go through the BUDS training and all this training and what they do to protect our country every day. But it was great to pick his mind a little bit now that he is on the end of that career and onto another journey in life. He has hindsight on what that experience was like. And he gives a lot of good advice that I think isn't just applicable to military training. That's a huge thing I took away from this is that his advice is applicable to any goal you're trying to reach. Uh, Garrett, what do you think? Yeah, Stu was a great interview and it was fun for me and Sean because um, this was our first interview that we didn't have a direct uh, connection to neither Sean or I uh, know Stu personally. We just reached out to him and we were fortunate enough that uh, he decided to come on the podcast and like all the interviews or other interviews that we've had, just really inspirational in their story. You know, obviously with the title on our podcast, Adverse University, there was a lot of tough times that Stu faced and uh, he found ways to get through that. And he talks about in the episode, and I, I love one of the things he talks about is just having a great mental mindset is what really pushed him through a lot of those tough, tough, tough times and the support group that he had around him um, and his friends that helped keep him on the right path and didn't let him veer uh, too off. Um, so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Me and Sean really enjoyed doing the interview. It's always great hearing these stories and learning from their experiences uh, because we obviously have our own, but you can only, only earn so, learn so much from your experience. And our other big thing is that everyone has a path. Everyone has a journey and no two paths are the same. Going back on what Garrett said about the mental side of things, he talks about finding the fuel when the tank is empty. I think that was a great part of the interview. And I also love when he talks about how iron sharpens iron. I do have to give a quick shout out to Dylan Lubesmeyer. He's a teammate of mine up at Robert Morris. He actually helped me identify Stu. He's training himself to become a Navy SEAL and he does Stu's workouts now. So I had a little bit of a connection there and really happy things worked out. Let's kick it on over to Stu. For all you listeners out there that don't know where Garrett and I began our hockey journey, it was with the Colorado Rampage where a list of other notable alumni also began their career as young student athletes. The Colorado Rampage AAA hockey program is currently accepting registrations for their tryouts and identification camps to find elite players and people looking to play AAA hockey and take their career to the next level. The Rampage play in the Tier 1 Elite League, which is one of the best AAA leagues in the country. This is where your players will get to showcase their skill in front of scouts for the best junior teams, colleges, and even professional teams in North America. We would encourage anyone between the ages of 12 and 18 who are looking for a place to develop and start their hockey career the same way we did to send an email to play AAA at coloradorampage.org to get more information. That's P-L-A-Y-A-A-A at C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E dot org. You can also visit their website at www.corampage.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Today's guest is our first non-athlete. His work is much more important. He's a former Navy SEAL. He now coaches at the Naval Academy, working with the Spec Ops team, which is a club activity for future SEAL, EOD, and Marine candidates. 
He's also the current owner of Stu Smith Fitness, where he prepares Americans to serve in the military, special ops, police, and firefighting. He's the author of many books about tactical training and fitness, and he also owns the Tactical Fitness Report podcast. His gym gave away the name, but welcome to Adversity University, Stu Smith. Hey, thank you. This is uh, a lot of fun. Hey, I used to be an athlete. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We met Kurt. Uh, a non-athlete. I never thought of myself as a non-athlete, but that's sorry, all right. Sorry. Yeah. Back <laughs> in the day, back in the day, I was, um, back, well, back in high school, it was football, powerlifting, um, wrestling, baseball, and then uh, powerlifting screwed up my baseball, so then I ran track and threw shot put. So this is a journey through all kinds of different things. And in college, I played rugby. So Okay. So, yeah. How was your memorial today? It's great. Got the Murph done. Yeah. You know, nice. Memorial Day Murph workout. I do that all the time. I mean, it's something that you don't want to do just once a year. Otherwise, it will cripple you. Uh, so, yeah, you got to stay in shape to be able to handle it and not be, you know, hurting the next few days. But I did it with my son, who is uh, 17 years old, for the first time. So, that, that was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if uh, non-athlete was the correct term because I'm would. i willing to bet that you're probably in better shape and a better athlete than me and Sean both are. So, Well, thank you for that. Uh, but – you know, non-athlete is fine. I, I understand. You guys interview a lot of current athletes. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's Ex-athlete. Not a big, yeah, yeah. I, I used to uh, I used to play, you know. You know, that's part of the kind of like the athletic history, you know, someone brings into special ops training. It, you know, kind of determines where their strengths and weaknesses are going to be. So it's very important, you know, whenever I'm as a trainer, I always ask, what sports do you play? because that kind of determines to me where I need to kind of guide them on getting good at everything. Cause an athlete has to get really good at a few elements of fitness, strength and power. If you're, you know, speed and agility, if you're a football player or endurance and technique, if you're a runner or a swimmer, um, but they, they don't need to get good at all of them. Whereas the tactical athlete has to diversify their, you know, elements of fitness and be able to do all of those things, be able to run and swim and carry load on their backs as well as, you know, be strong to, to be able to do that without hurting themselves, but then, you know, have all the muscle stamina in the world to be able to just continue on. So that's, it's kind of the difference between an athlete and a tactical athlete, if you would. Yeah, no, I agree. So going back to your, you know, earlier in your career, your athletic days, as we're saying, what was your childhood like growing up in Live Oak, Florida? Yeah, you've done some research. Yeah, Live Oak. Yeah, that is my hometown um, in uh, North Florida. It, it was a great little place. I, I miss it. I go back as often as I can. I still have a lot of friends there. Uh, my parents have moved, so I kind of go back a little bit less, but great place to grow up. I mean, it was a one of those Friday night lights towns where the you know the whole town came out to your football games and you know you might only I think we only had like 10,000 people in the whole county wow. but we'd have five six thousand people at football games you know so awesome. I mean it was it was a lot of fun um and you know we traveled around from county to county every week to play play sports and you know it, that was what it was we played a lot of sports um or you didn't um, um, 
which I found life kind of boring if I didn't, if I wasn't doing something there. Um, you know, worked hard in school, tried to make good grades, um, and uh, worked hard in the summers. You know, we always had a job in the summer, and most of it was very physical, manual labor. One of my favorite jobs I ever had was working in a watermelon field with the rest of the crew was, you know, half the football team. And we would work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. throwing watermelons from the ground into a truck. And then we go lift weights after, after all that and get ready for football season. And we typically did really well with, with football. Um, we, had, we had a lot of tough kids, you know, that just worked hard and played hard and, you know, really played the game well. So it, it was a good, good place to grow up. I, I miss it. It sounds like you guys had a great bond too. If you were working together 12 hours a day before practice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, they're some of my best friends today, you know, definitely. What motivated you to join the military and without getting too in depth into your story quite yet, what is the process like going from a normal civilian to a Navy SEAL? Um, yeah, you know what? I, um, I knew I wanted to serve. I just didn't know how I wanted to serve. And a couple opportunities came to me, uh, through athletics. Um, I was recruited for football for various colleges and then, you know, army popped on my radar and Navy popped on my radar and I put two and two together. I'm like, Oh yeah, the army Navy game. And then I did a little more research and I realized that both of those were colleges I didn't even know West Point Naval Academy. I, I don't know. I mean, I was in 10th, 11th grade. Um, and that's when I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to go to one of those. And I, I just kind of had that general thought. So I knew I wanted to serve, but being able to play a sport and serve and go to college and, you know, everybody in my family's happy because I'm getting a college degree, but I'm happy because I'm playing a sport, but I'm also happy because I'm serving. So it was kind of like a great compromise for my parents, you know, for, you know, besides, you know, besides just, you know, enlisting right out of high school, they would have rather me gone to college first and then join the military. So anyway, um, that, that was my personal journey. I knew I just wanted to serve somewhere, just didn't know where when I was a kid, um, you know, typical play with GI Joes and you know, play army soldier and all that stuff. And, uh, but anyway, that, that was, uh, my life growing up always, kind of knew that uh top gun came out and i was like oh man yeah be a pilot that'd be cool you know so the journey was there i knew i was heading in that direction even as a young teenager um but the process to get into uh navy special warfare or navy seals um that's what you asked for specifically right navy SEALs. correct um i've written a lot of articles about it on stewsmith.com because it is a process you know and it's probably something that kind of treat it like a a reference sheet and just check off the marks. But um, if you go to sealswick.com, see, you know, S E A L S W C C.com, it's got all the different routes because there's a bunch of different routes you can do. You know, you can go right out of high school, you can go after college, you can enlist, you can go officer, there's ROTC, there's OCS, there's Naval Academy. So there's a lot of different journeys that get you to SEAL training. Um, one isn't particularly easier than the other. Um, they're all fairly competitive these days. Uh, you need to go in there really fit. Like you can't go into a recruiter's office and say, oh yeah, I think I want to be a SEAL. 
you know, and having never done the SEAL fitness test, for instance, because within a few weeks, you're going to be taking that SEAL fitness test and you have to do really well on it. If you don't do really well on it, you just kind of languish there in this delayed entry program process until you pass the fitness test, which really isn't doing your any good because you're just going to pass a fitness test. You, you've gotten to the training. You haven't figured out how to get through the training yet. And you can't just get through the training by preparing for a fitness test. It just, there's so much more than the fitness test offers, right? So the fitness test is 500 yard swim, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and a mile and a half run. However, you know, you got to score real well on that, but to be competitive, but to get through the training, you're going to have to endure logs, you know, on your shoulders and boats on your heads and four mile time runs every week and two mile swims with scuba fins in the ocean every week, you know, and obstacle courses. So there, and that's a six month process. So you kind of have to build up your durability. You have to build up your work capacity because there's no 30 minute gym workout that's going to prepare you for 12 hours of seal training it, you know, a day. Um, so that is kind of the journey that, that they have to go through. Now we have uh, an overview of your path and the audience has an overview. Um, what was your journey like as a SEAL and, you know, going to the academy? Can you just touch on what you had to go through and the ups and downs of, of that journey? Yeah, well, you know, I went in there thinking I was going to play football for Navy, right? So I got in good Navy football shape. And when I showed up at, um, at Plebe Summer, which is kind of like our form of boot camp, um, you know, there's a fitness test that's involved. I think back then it was push-ups, sit-ups. I think we had a broad jump and a mile run. And I failed my first fitness test when I showed up there, you know. And then, um, you know, I was able to get better over the course of the summer and pass it at the end of the summer. And then I actually maxed it the next time I had to take it for a grade. So there was a, you know, six-month process there where I learned – what I needed to learn about military fitness, you know, how it was so much different from my football preparation. And long story short, I, I didn't make the football team. Um, I, you know, once academic year started, I was failing in two courses. And remember, remember I, I, I don't think I made a few, but maybe a few B's in high school. I mean, so you know, it was just an awful experience, you know, failing a fitness test, not making a football team that I've been dreaming for years to be able to play college ball. And then, um, you know, failing academically too. There wasn't a whole lot I was doing well. And I would say my first six months of the Naval Academy. And I remember coming home to Thanksgiving and, um, my, uh, you know, I was crying. I was like, uh, this is just awful. I think my girlfriend dumped me too to throw it on top of it. So it was just a, you know, it was rough being 18 years old and dealing with all of that. And uh, um, I just remember my mom saying, well, why don't you come home? You know, it sounds awful. Why don't you just come home? I was like, I can't quit. And then she said, you know, well, quit crying and go, let's figure this out, you know, and uh, figure out how you're going to make it through there. And that's where I kind of realized that I had focused so much energy of my life getting to the Naval Academy, 
that I never once considered, what do I need to do to prepare to get through the Naval Academy, right? And so I spent the next good year trying to figure that out. And eventually, obviously, I figured that out and made my way through that process. But I've, I've held on to that to and through process for forever, you know, because I see a lot of people go to the SEAL training and they make it to SEAL training fine, but they don't make it through SEAL training, right? And it, there's a preparation phase in tactical fitness that I think a lot of people neglect. You know, they for, you know, I call it phase one being getting to the training, phase two getting through the training. and um, that's uh that that is where I failed um in those first six months. But I I like I said, I had I figured it out. So how frustrating was it that you dedicate a large majority of your life into being a good candidate? And as you mentioned, you know, being on the football team and once you got there, you failed a lot of the initial tests. And was your mom kind of giving you a little bit of a kick in the ass, like harden up here and figure it out or or just quit? Was that kind of your motivating factor or what other circumstances or people helped you get through that tough time? Well, yes. I think she was playing a little bit of reverse psychology with me. And in hindsight, after talking to her years later, that's, she said that was the hardest thing she ever had to say to come out of her mouth was she did not want me to quit. Yeah. But I think she wanted me to realize that it was me that wanted to be there, you know, in the first place. And she kind of made me, realized, you know, I remember being, you know, that 17 year old kid that wanted to go, you know, and I was there and I didn't have that desire, you know, after all these failures, you know, and I, it was almost that brink of, you know, quitting, but she also knew that, that I probably wouldn't quit. I'd probably be kicked out for not meeting a standard or something, but, um, you know, we, we figured it out and it, you know, my, my mom was able to say, Hey, look, you know, you need to go back there and find people who are doing well and figure it out. Right. And so I, I went to the study skills um, instruction that they had there that just people learn how to study. And, you know, from going from high school to college, it's a big, it's a big difference. I mean, you have to up your game. And I didn't think I, I didn't realize that. I think, you know, I had, had a pretty solid game in, in Florida where I was, you know, good academics, good athletics, you know, I was just had a really kind of smooth say I worked hard though. Don't get me wrong, but it was, I didn't really fail at a whole lot. And then, you know, hitting that, you know, brick wall of failure. Um, it, it it's hard to get used to. You know, it, it's hard to overcome that, especially when you're not used to failing. You know, I think a lot of people that fail, you know, these spec ops programs are people like that, that just grew up never failing anything. And then their first dose of failure really drops their, you know, self-motivation, maybe their self-confidence to a level where they start saying, well, maybe I don't belong here, right? And, and they fall even lower versus I need to figure out how to make it through here and they figure it out. So, you know, I'd spent the, the next year not only having, you know, my classmates to help me with studying um, and, you know, organization, you know, just all these little mental preparations that helped me be a better student 
Um, I still never played football, but I found rugby. And that was a life changer for me there because one, it was less time commitment where I could focus more on studying, but it was fun and it was aggressive and it was like-minded guys. And we had at least four or five members of the rugby team that went SEAL teams every year. You know, so there were, you know, two, three years of guys in front of me that I really looked up to and I saw what you needed to do to make it through. Right. So it's almost like seeing it to believe it. You have to see it to believe it. I saw that. And then what he was even better is by the time I was a junior, some of those guys that were a couple of years ahead of me would come back and visit and they'd already made it through seal training. And I'm like, wow, this, this is possible, right? It's not impossible. You know, so I think seeing it to believe it really kind of takes away that impossibility factor that occurs when you're going through some of these hard challenges and goals that you set for yourself. And then once you see people actually doing it, you know, people that are doing it, it really helps you kind of internalize that this is just a stepping stone, right? It's not an impossibility anymore. It's just something I have to endure to get to where I want to be. Right. Garrett and I are very fortunate to have similar goals as well. And I think something very important is surrounding yourself with people who are going to motivate you and help you like you did. I think one of my favorite quotes is tell me your dreams and show me your closest friend group and I'll tell you whether or not you'll achieve that dream. Yeah. So very very important. Yeah. You learned a lot from them and you guys motivated each other. So that's amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We made each other better. You know, it was, you know, one of those days, one of us didn't feel like training but the other three or four of us said, come on, we're going, <laughs> you know, or we'd make fun of them for missing, you know, or whatever that was, you know, <laughs> and right. you know, so, so, so it was very good, positive peer pressure, yeah. right. I should say, you know, and it, they just made you stronger, you know, iron sharpens iron. I mean, that is so true. A main goal of ours is to show listeners that failures are just an opportunity to grow and learn. You talked about learning that there's a phase two of the journey, can you talk about all three phases that you teach? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, tactical fitness is a little bit different than athletic fitness like we discussed earlier. But first of all, you have to get to the training, right? And that typically means first phase is you have this fitness test that you have to not only pass, but it may take several months for you to be able to be competitive in some of these jobs as well because they're not going to take just passing grades they're going to take the top 25 percent of those grades you know scores to be able to move on forward so you have to get to a certain level of fitness just to get to the training but afterwards depending on what that journey is you have to prepare specifically for some of those challenges that are in front of you whether it is a police academy, fire academy, a boot camp, basic training, spec ops training, SEAL training, whatever that is, you need to learn ahead of time, just like I didn't learn ahead of time what I needed to do to make it through the Naval Academy. You know, you need to learn ahead of time that, you know, I really need to prepare for some of these painful events that I see on Instagram. I mean, these guys are carrying logs for miles. They got boats on their heads. Looks like they haven't slept for days. Um, you know, and they're always wet and sandy. You know, 
all these little things that you like, you know, I haven't added any of that to my training. How do I know I'm going to endure any of that? So not that I recommend giving yourself a hell week, um, but you know, you, you should start upping your game a little bit to be able to endure that kind of challenge. So that gets you through the training. And then phase three is a whole lot different. Um, and here, and I'll explain where people get all these three confused in a second, but phase three is now you're an active duty operator. You're doing your job and you're working out to maintain a certain standard so you can do your job well because fitness at that level can be the difference between life or death, you know, for yourself, for your buddy that's with you, for someone you're trying to save, no matter what your job is in the tactical professions, your fitness may save a life one day. You know, that, that may be the determining factor between somebody living or dying. So I always play that card because it's that serious um, at that level. But, you know, you also see a lot, you know, you're, you see some traumatic events that can occur no matter what job you're in the tactical professions. And some of them are very horrific and some are very sad and it gets to you emotionally that you need to also be able to understand how to mitigate the stresses that come with those jobs as well. So there's a very big component on recovery and stress mitigation, um, nutrition, you know, is, is all part of the process to help you be able to recover from those long days, long nights, high stress events that occur in these jobs as well. So that is phase one, phase two, phase three of tactical fitness, and they're all different, right? You can't go do some active duty Navy SEAL workout and think you're going to pass the fitness test, right? Or get through buds just because this active duty SEAL workout that you know, somebody posted is going to be, you know, the greatest workout that gets you through buds. That's what's getting them to be able to do their job, which is completely different than buds. I mean, buds is just a kick in the nuts, you know, and the last thing you want to do at buds or prepare for that is practice being kicked in the nuts. So <laughs> you still have to train smart to get to that high level of fitness. And there's always this fine line between, um, you know, building that um, durability and breaking, right? There's always that like fine line between training and overtraining, you know, and there's also a fine line between mental toughness and stupidity, right? So <laughs> you're balancing that line of just overdoing it too much um, and being able to recover from that. So that, that's the challenge out there, no matter what phase you're in. Love that you touch on the physical aspects of, you know, obviously being a SEAL. And I think when anyone thinks of, you know, going to the Army or Air Force or any of the special services, you obviously have to be very physically fit. But I think one thing that's important to note that you indirectly touched on with just the mental toughness that you have to have in order to accomplish these tasks, because I feel like maybe there's not a limit on, you know, how physically fit you can be. But definitely, there'll be breaking points, as you mentioned, when you're going through this training that you know, it's your mental capacity that's going to take you farther than your physical fitness would. Absolutely. Very good point. Because it, there's going to be a moment when you are alone with your thoughts, you're cold, you're wet, you're sandy, you're tired, 
something hurts, you're uncomfortable. And those thoughts can be the difference between you saying I'm done or you saying got to keep going. And, you know, I always tell people say, I heard this great quote. I can't remember where, who, who said it, but you know, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself, you know, because mm -hmm. <laughs> your body has a way and your mind has a way of saying, look, what you're doing right now is really stupid. You should stop. You're going to hurt yourself. It, your body and your mind is geared for surviving another day. And if it thinks you're trying to kill yourself, it's going to try to stop you from doing that by saying, stop, this is, makes no sense. So quit hurting yourself like this. So um, what, what you have to do at that point is it really comes down to your personal will and your ability to just say, you know what, I'm going to keep going. Even when you don't feel like it. Um, one of the best definitions of mental toughness I ever heard was finding the fuel when the tank is empty. And uh, I love that saying because it says so much, but it's still vague enough to like, there's this mystery of mental toughness that it's hard to explain in written word or spoken word um, that it's something that has to be experienced. If that makes sense. For sure. I think any, you know, mental toughness that you gain is all through experience. I know you said don't put yourself through hell week, but obviously if you're going to put yourself through hard workouts, you're going to learn to mentally be able to, you know, handle those types of situations. Sure. But back to your story, once it was all said and done, you graduated from the academy. What was the most difficult time for you as a SEAL? Oh, let's see. You know what? I, I got injured third phase. You know, I was um, about five weeks from graduating. Uh, buds and I've been with my class the whole time you know we'd gone through hell week together we'd gone through dive phase together we about halfway through uh land warfare phase land navigation and all that stuff and I, I hurt my knee and uh so I got rolled and I got dismissed from that class and the class kept going on and I remember going to their graduation and man, that really sucked, you know, because I still had to go through third phase again and I had to heal first. Um, but I had a knee injury that took me about eight weeks to fully recover. Um, I found out, I learned a lot about recovery uh, with an injury. You know, I couldn't run. I was on crutches for at least four weeks of those eight weeks. And then the last four weeks I had to go back from, you know, an injury, not running, to being in bud shape again, third phase and getting through. But, you know, I actually learned a lot about, you know, pulling the reins back on yourself, not overdoing it when you get back into it. And I just rode a bike for, for weeks. Um, everywhere I went, I rode a bike or I was on a stationary bike. And that was all I really did uh, till about like two or three weeks before I had to class up again. Then I started running again. And I actually came back faster. You know, I had some really good running or biking workouts that I would do, and I still write about those same workouts that I did back then. Um, and it really allowed me to recover, but it also allowed me to maintain and even build some cardiovascular ability to be a faster runner whenever I got back. So that was uh, that was a neat thing I learned about it, even though it was a setback and I was 
pretty depressed that my body let me down. You know, I, I think that's how, you know, I don't know how most people are, but I tend to be, uh, if I'm sick or if I'm injured, like in this minor state of depression of like, my body has failed me. And, and it's, and it's something that it's, it requires me to kind of get over. And usually my wife snaps me out of it by calling me a big baby. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it was, it was not an easy process, but you know, the, the thing that you don't want to do in those moments is just stop doing anything, you know, everything, you know, you got to keep doing something um, just to keep your sanity, but also to keep moving. So you're able to maintain some level of fitness, especially if you're going to get back into that same level of training in a few short weeks. When you're in the field, what mental or physical tricks have you learned to calm yourself down and focus on the mission at hand in a high pressure situation? Well, I'll tell you, we all learned something, you know, while we were training and it was simply breathing, you know, and it's no magic, um, you know, groundbreaking tool. You know, we have all learned over the years that breathing is the way to calm yourself down before, you know, whether it's shooting that free throw for the game winner or it's kicking a field goal for the game winner or whatever. It's the last strike, you know, ninth inning, you know, if you're the pitcher or the hitter, you know, you just take that big, deep breath, kind of relax yourself and just let the training take over, you know, almost like quit thinking about it too much and just let the training take, take over and it, and it relaxes you. So you don't have all these obtrusive thoughts and waste of energy that's going on in your head um, to screw you up from, you know, the, the task at hand, um, simply breathing. But yeah, I mean, we, we learned it actually during shooting, you know, whenever you are shooting, you know, you, you want to have a nice, calm breath, big, deep inhale, big, deep exhale, big, deep inhale, and almost like a little pause in between your inhale and exhale, you can take a shot. And it's, it just happens to be, you know, one of those things that just helps you relax and you have a nice, smooth uh, shooting process and good aim and nothing shaking and uh, you actually shoot pretty well. Um, but then, you know, we also learned that you can apply that to, to later on, you know, like I talk about that phase three of tactical fitness when we're dealing with stress mitigation, some of the best ways to deal with the, you know, traumatic things that you see in this, you know, tactical professions is to, at the end of the day, just focus on your breathing and whether you turn that into meditation or you turn that into just focus on your breathing and relaxing, listening to relaxing music, whatever that is, just brings you back down and engages that parasympathetic nervous system. That is the, you know, slows yourself down and helps you relax. So um, that is how you actually engage that thinking part of the brain. So you can actually get into you know, some of the tasks at hand that, that are somewhat complicated versus being, you know, erratic and not being able to think through those things. But that is the best tool that I've used, whether it's, you know, during training, trying to sleep at night when you can't sleep or, 
you know, when, when it's a high stress situation, breathing is the number one tool to be able to get through those. That's one thing that I learned and I'm a goalie in hockey, so it's obviously a little bit different, but uh, I take ice baths all the time mm-hmm. and I've learned to, if I control my breathing, it kind of Absolutely. helps slow me down. And similar thing with you, you went through buds, which is basic underwater demolition seal. Um, and there's a bunch of athletes, you know, Olympians, professional athletes, collegiate athletes have all tried to go through buds and a lot of people actually fail. So what made you and the men that have, you know, been successful in completing buds, what's, what separates you from the average man? Hmm. Well, I am average, but, (laughs) but I, but I think, you know, as far as my athletic abilities, absolutely average. I just work really hard. So, I mean, I, there's nothing about this 5'11 and a half, 200 pound dude that is above average in anything, right? I have been able to work my way onto making teams. I've been able to work my way through academics. I've been able to work my way into a spec ops world um, just by sheer work and repeating that work being consistent with that work and i think that is that makes a big difference you know to me you know the average kid who's a decent you know athlete or maybe he just worked on a farm all his life you know can get into buds and make it through uh fine you know as long as they have that work ethic and the biggest part and i mentioned it earlier about will there is, you really need to want to do this job because like I said, when that moment and you're alone with your own thoughts and everything's falling apart around you, you're cold, you're, everything hurts, you're tired, you know, you have to be able to say, keep on going versus not. And it really has nothing to do with your athletic ability at that point. It is your pure will that gets you through that. I mean, we had this we have this one award at SEAL training. It's called the Fire in the Gut Award. And it goes to the guy who barely passed every single event at BUDS. You know, he just barely passed. So if, if there was a ranking from valedictorian to anchorman, you know, he'd kind of be that, that anchorman guy. Or he'd just be the guy that just never really excelled at anything, but he never quit trying and he never you know had a bad attitude about anything he just kept going and kept plugging you know and you know he made it through just by pure guts alone and maybe had the worst pt scores coming into the class right but he still made it through compared to the guy with the best pt scores who didn't make it there's no magic solution to this i'm figuring out how i i've been helping people get two buds and through buds for you know over 25 years now and I still haven't figured it out. Like I have not figured out the perfect process or the solution for that moment. You know, it really just comes down to how bad you want that at that moment. As long as you can stay healthy and not get hurt, you know, that moment may not even occur. You know, you may not have that moment where you're falling apart and you're cold and everything's wet and you're just having a bad day you may not have to test yourself in that. But my, my answer to, to this question is really, you have to go there 
in a compete mindset, whether that is competing with other people in your class, but being a good teammate, um, but also just competing with yourself and being better, you know, and not quitting. And, you know, you have to compete versus just going in there and trying to survive and just reaching through on the minimum standards because you're so close to failing when you're flirting with minimum standards every day. But if you're thinking about winning, I promise you, you will never think about quitting. Now, you may not win everything, but you're going to be in the top 10%, you know, of the class if you can do that. Yeah. But that, that is a really strong quote because if you think about winning, you will never think about quitting. Promise. <laughs> lest, something, lest the wheels fall off and you just you break your leg or something and you, <laughs> medical occurs. But, you know, seriously, that, that, that is probably the, the biggest thing with mindset you know, going through buds. If you think about making it through that event by not just trying to survive it, but actually trying to crush it, quitting is not even an option in your vocabulary. So for the viewers who don't know, the acronym BUDS actually stands for something pretty cool. Can you tell them what that is? Yeah, it stands for uh, Basic Underwater Demolition. It used to be school, but Back in the late 60s or early 60s, they changed it to SEAL training because our forefathers were the underwater demolition teams, which were the Navy Frogmen, right, back in the 50s and early 60s. And they even had some UDT teams, you know, even into the 80s, but they eventually all became SEAL teams. So now, basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training is what uh, BUDS is. And then SEAL stands for sea, air, and land, correct? Yes. And that just means we, we dive, we swim, we jump out of airplanes, we do patrolling on land. So it's just the whole, you know, pretty much anywhere you can operate, we try to get good at operating in. Yeah. So we've been focusing a lot on your adversity, but what's one of your best memories from your time in the SEALs? Mm. Oh man, that's a good question. I tell you, I, you know, it, it never, it never ceased to amaze me that no matter where we were, um, whether we were in a room, like with all the teammates, we were in the weight room, we were running or swimming or doing some ops, you know, I, I realized pretty early that I was not the smartest guy in the room at all. And I wasn't the toughest guy in the room at all. I wasn't the strongest guy in the room at all. You know, it was one of those things where I was just glad to be in the room and I was honored to be among all these people that were like-minded. Um, you know, if you had a task, it got done. Um, you know, and you didn't have to tell anybody how to do it. They took the initiative to figure it out. And I can't remember how many times I said this to my guys. And I was an officer, you know, coming out of the Naval Academy. And I had, you know, a bunch of enlisted guys with me. And I can't tell you how many times I've said, how did you guys manage this? This is incredible. And they, they'd always say, don't ask, sir. <laughs> you know, it's just it's like somehow they pulled it off and I didn't want to know how they did it but they figured it out and I don't know if it was a 
a thing that they shouldn't have been doing or if it was something that was just they were just kidding with me but you know half the time it was something that they figured out that they needed to get done and how to do it and they figured it out and it was efficient it was fast um and it was perfect and um you know we also learned from our mistakes i one thing i really liked about um seal teams is when things screw up and they do and you know you hope that nobody got hurt in that situation and sometimes they did um we would really not only rehearse before the mission to make sure everything went as planned but one thing you learn also nothing goes as planned so you have to have all these contingencies for when things go wrong so you can just flow right into the next phase of it without being stuck and having to figure something out you always have a contingency plan no matter where you are in your operations and then at the end you rehearse you uh you just play out everything that happened and just re you know everybody remembers what went right what went wrong and so that we don't repeat those wrongs again and we make sure we do it right and uh i tell you lessons learned from all of these operations and other platoons operations really helped um gel everything together on a work level um and a personal trust level because we all we're growing together and learning these mistakes and successes together every time. And um, at, eventually it builds a very sharp team. And, you know, you stay in long enough, you get to be a master at that process of rehearsing, being able to react, you know, without hesitation and then you know, going over exactly what happened and going, reviewing the lessons learned from every single operation. I would say that skill set alone, being with the people that are just top notch was some of my best memories ever of, uh, you know, being in my twenties and being involved with that type of expertise was, was very impressive. It's awesome. And as you mentioned before, some of those guys are still some of your best friends, obviously enduring those tough times together, you know, builds that bond. Um, oh, yeah. And you talk about flowing from phase to phase and one of the next phases in your life was starting your own business. What were the struggles that came with that? Well, that came with a huge amount of struggles because uh, it was 1999, you know, the military was downsizing. You know, remember this was before 9-11. So it was a different world back then. Um, completely different. Um, and I had been married a few years. We had our first baby in 97, late 97. Um, so my daughter was about one year old at the time as me getting out, I had a new home and I had a new business. And to be honest, I don't even remember that first year I was out. I mean, there was a lot that I was juggling to make happen. Um, my first year of getting out and it was a struggle. I mean, like I said, it, it was, it was near almost shock level. Like I said, you know, when, when you look back and you don't remember a, a certain event, just because probably because you were in shock or, you know, it was so stressful. I think that first year of getting out was very stressful. Plus I lost my social network because all those great guys that I was working with 
we were really each other's social network too, no matter where we went in the world. And even at home, you know, we, we hung out together and that's, that was what you did. And I lost all that as well. So there was, there was a lot of ups and downs. Um, I had some successes in that first year, but I also learned some mistakes of, uh, in business. Um, and I wound up, you know, figuring out a way to work out and write about it for a living. And um, it, it was a long process before I got to that realization that I could actually do that. But with the advancements in technology, the internet was kind of just getting on in the 2000s and you had to have dial up, but you know, it, was, it wasn't quite broadband. We couldn't do this yet you know, with Zoom, but you know, because of the you know, advancements in you know, technology, smartphones, social media, um, now able to do this, you know, streaming video, you know, I've done over 170 podcasts myself and, you know, it's, it's, you, you have, one thing I learned is you have to stay flexible and you have to be willing to evolve. Otherwise I would have been stuck at one published book and never have moved on past that. Right. And, uh, you know, you get into downloadable products, you get into streaming video, you get, you know, there's a whole lot that you, you have to do, you know, especially with a fitness business, um, to, to actually sell books. You know, I, I, one thing I realized real quick is that I'm not a fitness business that sells books. I am a media company that sells fitness. <laughs> if that makes sense, because you, you have to be now. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're just going to be a, a brick and mortar store that sells to, you know, one segment of the population. So. Yeah, that's fair. So you are a business, but you actually give free workouts to future military police and firefighters. What made you want to give back to the community and start giving these free workouts? Um, you know what, this right here, the heroes of tomorrow, little, little sign there. Somebody made for me. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that's what that group is. I call them the heroes of tomorrow. It's a, they're free workouts. If you're in the area, you can swing by. Now I tend to close these to people who want to serve, but, um, like I said, even if you're considering serving, you, you can come out to these workouts and join us and see what military style workouts are. When we have people from all backgrounds that, you know, sporting backgrounds or non-sporting backgrounds that want to serve in military, law enforcement, firefighters. You got SWAT team guys and spec ops guys, and the whole gamut uh, comes out, and uh, we all perform these workouts together. And, and that's really based on the the fundamentals of tactical fitness, like we discussed those three phases. You know, of getting them to and through the training, and depending on what that training is, we get into the specifics of how to prepare for them. You know, we've had guys that come in at 350 pounds and a year and a half later, they're 200 pounds. But we also have had guys that come in at D1 college athletes that move on to become special operators. You know, it's, we have a, a wide variety, but you know, to be honest with you, they're my workouts that I invite people to join me on. So I, the way it started was I was swimming one morning at 6 a.m at my pool where, you know, a local community center. And I saw these kids trying to do the combat swimmer stroke. I'm like, what are you guys doing? 
you know, just kind of messing around with them. And uh, I said, let me show you how I do this one. I used to do this back in the day. And so I started showing them the combat swimmer stroke and they realized what I was doing, who I was. And I, you know, we figured it all out. And, and I said, well, I'm here every day at six if you want to show up. And then two people brought two more people, brought two more people. Next thing I know, I have a big group of 15, 20 people every day to work out with. And it's fun. You know, today we did a long run with uh, probably 15, 20 people. And, you know, these days you have to kind of spread yourself out a little bit so you don't look like a big group. But that's one good thing about running. It does spread you out a little bit. But no, they're fun. And you know what? It gives me ideas to write about. I figure if I'm going to write about training, I should be training every day. And I should be training a variety of people, variety of abilities, variety of goals, um, and a variety of situations, right? Right now, we don't have a weight room, right? So what are you going to do, right? How are you going to train around that? And um, so that it gives me a lot of ideas to write about. So in fairness, it's, yes, it's nice. It's something I like to give back, but also I get so much more out of it personally as a, uh, you know, someone who likes to work out. I always have workout partners, but professionally, it also gives me ideas to write about and those ideas become books and, you know, membership programs and things like that. As you're teaching these younger generations of upcoming military personnel, what advice do you give to them based on the experiences that you've had? You know what? That's a, a good question. Um, one thing I have learned too in the last 20 years of doing this is that my numbers have not decreased at all because we've been in a war since 9-11. You know, these numbers have gotten bigger, you know, so there is a generation that wants to serve regardless of the situation that's out there, um, which gives me a lot of hope for the future, you know, because these are very brave Americans that want to go help people, um, you know, um, whether it's in the military or it's firefighters or police officers, you know, their their goal is to be a service to somebody and that that has been very rewarding for me to see as an older guy now looking at the younger generation, because, you know, when people make fun of the younger generation, I don't see it. You know, all I see is brave men and women that want to serve every day. And I was like, where are you hanging out? Because these guys are awesome. Um, you know, when people make fun of millennials or Gen Z or, you know, whatever generations they're making fun of. Um, but yeah, they're, they're awesome. But my advice is just, you know, one day at a time, you build, you know, a physical fitness foundation um, one day at a time, one workout at a time, and you just have to be persistent with it um, because your persistence will every day, you know, build that notch of mental toughness and discipline that you need. You know, we all come motivated into this, these jobs, but eventually your motivation goes away. Right? You don't have any more motivation, you know, three weeks into it and you're exhausted and tired from working out, you know, six days a week, you know, but your discipline is going to get you through and do that next workout, right? So, um, you know, we build mental toughness one day at a time, you know, not hitting that snooze button and staying in bed. You know, that, that's a real easy way to build mental toughness. Jumping into the pool when you don't feel like getting wet, that's another way to build mental toughness. You know, it's just one little bitty thing that you can do every day 
just to build you up on that notch of getting a little more mentally tough and mentally tough. And, you know, it accumulates throughout the, the time you're training. And sometimes you need a year, maybe a little bit more to prepare, especially for the special ops world. So that's, that's my advice. Just keep going at it. Yeah. Love that putting yourself in uncomfortable situations so that you continue to learn and to adapt. Um, but Stewie, we can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been unbelievable hearing your story and, you know, the advice that you're giving back to young, younger generations. And also we thank you for your service and, and the special forces, obviously we're, you know, so thankful and lucky enough to be you know, live in a, a free country where people, you know, give their time to, to make sure that we live a good everyday life. So we can't thank you enough. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's a great idea with the Adversity University. I love the title. I hope you guys do really well with this. Thank you. We thank appreciate you very it. Much. Yeah.